Welcome to season four of the podcast. My name's Christian Ponsford and I'm the director of products here at multitracks.com. We are so looking forward to sharing more engaging conversations this season with worship leaders, authors, thought provokers, and more. For those of you that have been listening to our show since the beginning, you might have noticed that we have a brand new name this season. If you don't already know, we launched a platform last year called leadworshipwell.com. And the goal and the aim there is to equip you and your teams on how to lead and disciple well. We offer incredible insight, songwriting inspiration, and a ton more. So it just made sense for us to rebrand to the Lead Worship World podcast in order to make all of these conversations part of that mission. I hope that you're ready for some amazing conversations. This season, we're going to be talking about topics such as the Enneagram, mental health, and the next generation of worshippers, and lots more. Tune in this fall, and we hope these conversations truly help you lead worship well. Christine DeCloria, thank you so much for being on the podcast this evening. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm really, really excited that this has been a long time coming. We've been talking about it for a while. I'm glad we landed a time to talk finally. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a long time coming. So here's the first and most important question. Is my British accent butchering the correct pronunciation of your surname? Okay. Christine DeClario, did That's I get it right? That's perfect. I mean, anything you say in a British oh. accent is perfect. And then you botch it all you want. <laughs> Far too kind. So, Christine, many will know you as an award-winning CCM artist and worship leader. At Multitracks.com, we know you as a friend. Mm-hmm. We consider you as part of the family. Thank you so much for being a real dear friend and a support, particularly to Sequentius.com. Mm-hmm. All of the team there wanted to say hi and thank you for your support over the years. Thank you. I love that I've been able to see multitracks.com since it was just an idea just become this this beautiful ministry and enterprise that's really serving the church very well thank you for all of your support so i'm thinking back to when i first met you uh, and it was worship together 2021 Mm -hmm. which feels like 10 years ago now already but it was only last year and we were in nashville and you were speaking on the topic that we're going to dive into tonight Mm -hmm. And I think midway through your message, I leant over to Oscar, who's my colleague, your friend, and said, we need to have mm. this conversation on the podcast because this is so timely, so important, and you are articulating the challenges around this so incredibly well. So I think we connected afterwards and it's taken us a little while to make it happen, but here we are and we're going to dive in, which is super Yay. fun. So here's my first question for okay. you, and it's probably the biggest, most open-ended question I've ever asked anybody on the podcast. And if you take the rest of the episode to answer it, that's fine. But could you share some of your background, some of your story and your journey so far that gives us a backdrop for the conversation that we're going to dive into tonight? Okay, I got to split that answer in two. Okay. So the first part of my story is actually in a book called Prodigal Heart. Prodigal means unrestrained and not lost and how... Basically, the Lord taught me through severe trauma as a kid, having survived sexual abuse at at five, having lost my father at six, having uh, moved to a new country at seven, having suffered bullying seven through 15 when I was in school just for being, you know, the different one, the odd one out, having had failed relationships and daddy issues growing up, and then totally falling into this spiral of self-destruction when I hit college years. And in that self-destruction, even though I grew up in a Christian home, and I have always, since the womb, known about the Word of God and sung the songs, and I talked the talk for sure, 
I was in a double life for about two years when I was in college. Me being at that point the main worship leader in a very uh, large, influential church that I grew up in in Puerto Rico. But during the week when I was away at college, I was absolutely not representing Christ at all because I didn't really have a relationship with him. I just knew of him. I didn't know him. And in those two years of, you know, passive aggressive rebellion, wanting to get things that I felt that I had lost because it was God's fault, because if only he had saved my father from his addictions and his terminal disease, Mm. then none of the things that happened after that hurt me would have happened. Or that's at least how I saw it. And I rebelled very quietly, very under the radar against God and everything good. And uh, my motto in life became, well, does the Bible say I can't do that? So let's go ahead and do it. Okay. Um, and in that rebellion, I hit rock bottom. I looked for love in all the wrong places. I compromised my faith and my integrity in so many ways. I experimented with pretty much everything except drugs because I didn't want to damage my voice. I wanted to be a singer more than anything. Yeah. And two years later, I did hit rock bottom. I was uh, depressed. I was living out of pure fakeness and facade. I was faking a smile every yeah. day. But struggling to get out of bed, I was uh, having ideas of committing suicide. Uh, Would anybody miss me? Does anybody care? And when I hit that rock bottom, I had an encounter with the Lord because I was still in music. But my goal was to do music to get the accolades, to get the wow, to get the applause, to get what I translated as approval and love and acceptance, which was whenever I was on the stage. And so I would sing secular if I had the opportunity, and I would sing Christian when I had the opportunity. I was a professional BGV artist as well, and a Christian artist had invited me to be a part of a very big concert he was doing in one of the biggest arenas in Puerto Rico and the Caribbean, and I was like so excited I was going to be there. Maybe this is my big opportunity. And so after one of the rehearsals, I remember coming into rehearsal and finding a group of people that were worshiping in a rehearsal room with no audience and a worship quote unquote atmosphere that I wasn't at the hem of, that I wasn't the worship leader. I wasn't in any way manipulating the atmosphere. There was no opportunity for me to believe that what was happening in that room had anything to do with me because I was late. And when I walked in, I felt that sonic boom that happens in your spirit when you walk into a room and the Holy Spirit is moving in it. And immediately I started feeling convicted of my sin. I felt dirty. I felt broken for the first time in all those two years that I had been running and feeling like I was controlling my destiny. And I remember I was supposed to get together with some friends to, you know, do really damaged and simple things after the rehearsal. And they were texting me. And I remember feeling terror inside of me at the thought of saying, yeah, let's hang out and do whatever. I remember I was shaking during the rehearsal because, you know, at the presence of the Lord, the earth shakes and we're made of earth. And after the rehearsal was done, we, I said no to my friends. No, I'm not going to hang out tonight. And the musicians, the singers, we all went to dinner and It was also because I remember sitting in my car before we set out to the restaurant. It was just me. And I put my hands on the steering wheel and I looked up and I said, listen, God, I don't know what this was that you did during this rehearsal, 
I'm not sure if I want it or I like it or what it is that you're trying to do. But I mean, if you're real, if you exist, if you care, if you have plans with me, if you love me and all that, you know, yada, yada, that the Bible says that I have to repeat every weekend at church. You know, if if that is all true, you have until midnight to show me. If today ends and you don't show me in a grand gesture that you're Mm -hmm. there and you care— I'm just going to stop being the Christian hypocrite and I'm just going to run out into the world and just just not go to church anymore and not not serve you anymore. I'll just serve myself and serve the world. And if I'm lost, then so be it. Because if you don't care enough to save me, why should I care? And, you know, all that snarkiness and rebellion just, it was just oozing out of me because I was so broken. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we were at the restaurant and at about 1130-something, PM, this lady walks into the restaurant and she was very odd looking, according to my religious standards. The people that were at that restaurant, they were all Christian coming out of services, you know, the different yeah. churches and like going out to dinner. So we knew, you know, people from that church, that other church, you know, I was a worship leader and people knew me, you know, as BGV for this artist and that artist. And so we pretty much could have just complicated a service there and like um, just had worship time because we were all quote unquote Christian. And this one lady walks in and she's very oddly dressed and has a lot of makeup on. And her hair was dyed like a really, really bright, white, blondish color. And she was just odd. I remember the the worship leader that I was singing with that night. I had already talked to him and I said, you know what, before the night's over, if you could like pray for me, because I felt something that I haven't felt in a long time during rehearsal. Just just, just pray for me. And so he signaled me like, hey, you want to go pray now while we wait for our food? I'm like, sure. So we went outside <laughs> and we were under this tree in the parking lot. And, you know, he's talking to me about the Lord. And it's like he preached a little mini sermon just for me. And because my heart was open for the first time in a really long time, I yeah. felt like I was a sponge that was just soaking it all in. What's amazing was that when he said, okay, let's pray after several minutes of just, you know, preaching to me. I closed my eyes and he said, close your eyes, lift your hands. I'm going to put my hand on your head and and we're going to pray that the Lord do something in your life and and meet you the way you need to be met. Close my eyes, raise my hands. And when he said, Father, in the name of Jesus, he put his hand on my head. I heard in the distance, the door of the restaurant, like swing open, like plam. Okay. And I heard these high heels, like clack, 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 clack. And I remember thinking to myself, I have ADHD, so I get distracted really, really easily. So for a second, like, that was like the butterfly that flew in the distance and like, you lost me. And I'm thinking, wow, wherever that woman's going, yikes. She's either going to go beat somebody up or or tell somebody (laughs) off or she's determined. And then I heard those clack, clack, clacks coming closer to me. And closer and closer and closer until... They stopped cold, very, very close to where I was. And I heard the voice of a woman say, this says the Lord to you. No way. I kind of like cracked open an eye. What's going on? Is she talking to me? I opened my eyes and it was the odd woman. The one person that I had disqualified from all those Christians, that's (laughs) that's who God chose. As if to show me just at the beginning of this conversation God was about to have with me, you disqualified yourself and you think that there's nothing else, but... If I can use her, I most certainly can use you. Wow. So that was the very beginning of redemption for me, just the fact that he chose her. Okay. And she yep. prophesied over my life so poignantly and so perfectly accurate 
At one point I thought, is this woman following me for the past three months of my life? Because she was (laughs) so accurate about like places, prayers, thoughts I had, intentions I had, people I was hanging out with, things that I was doing. And at one point I began to shake under this weighty presence of the Lord that was just on me. And I, I remember vividly what she said when she started. She said, this says the Lord to you. I am the Lord, your God. I am real. I do love you. I do have plans for you. And if you allow me tonight, I am going to show you. Wow. After what felt like maybe 45 minutes to an hour of being prophesied over and of being pretty much exposed in a very good way, where I, for the first time, was confronted with the condition of my sin— but I was not okay. condemned. Mm-hmm. It was a mirror. The father put a mirror in front of me and said, my child, look, just take a look at what's going on in your life. You have a great big heart. And I created it that way because I need you to have a big heart to connect people to me. You have to love them as much as I do. And you have to love yourself as much as I do. And you have to love me as I love you, to be able to connect people to me. But your heart is broken and it's wounded and it's it's deceiving. And you've been making decisions out of your heart and it's it's not okay. So he answered my ultimatum that night with one of his. And he said okay. to me after exposing basically the condition of my heart, he said, I'm putting two paths in front of you tonight that you must choose one tonight, not tomorrow, not next week, right? tonight. Okay. And according to your decision, tonight, the rest of your life will be dictated by. This is the one moment that is going to determine the rest of your life. And I'm, you know, still, I'm a wreck and like, there's tears everywhere. And and I'm like (laughs) bent over under this thing that feels like somebody's shoving my head into the ground. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm not used to this or comfortable with this. But at the same time, I felt so engulfed and embraced and beautifully seduced by a love that I had not allowed to manifest in my life before. Okay. It was like a big, strong daddy arm embrace, lifting up a wounded child and putting her on his lap and saying, look what you've done, honey. This is hard and it hurts, but let me show you how it happened and let me heal you. And so he drew these two paths in front of me. And the first one, he said, there's a path of my will in my heart. And in that path, if you follow it, if you choose me, I will give you all the promises that I have given to you and to those that have come before you. And I will grant you all the promises I speak of in my word. And you will see how this brokenness of today is just going to be another thing that you're going to glorify me for when I repair it in the future. You'll be a beacon of hope for so many thousands of people around the world that are going to come to know me through your journey and your story. You will always have food on your table, blessing of Moses in the desert, like even your clothes won't wither. And that blessing till today has come true because I've got clothes that's like 15 years old. He said that (laughs) to me and I remember my soul just crying out, yes, 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 that's what I need. I I just need to be in the hands of the Father. I need to like stop this train. Automatic yes. But then he said, but there's the other path that I'm laying before you today, and it's the path of your will and your heart. 
And that's when you told me you have a great big heart. And I created it that way for a reason so that you can connect people. But if you still want to choose that path, you can. And if you do, I will take care of you because I, I will prom- I promised your mother. And you will have all the fame and the fortune and the recognition around the world. You will grow okay. to have the career you've always wanted. And you will present yourself in the mainest arenas of the entire world and Hundreds of thousands of people would come to see you and they would consider you a goddess of this generation. And you will have everything you want in this world. If you choose that path, if that's what you really want, my presence is not going with you because that's not my will for you. And in that moment when he said, my presence won't go with you, something happened inside of me. It still kind of shakes me today because for a second, I believe that he allowed me to feel in my spirit what it feels like not to have him. It felt like I was being ripped apart in every direction from the inside out. And there was pain in my chest and there was pain in my head and there was pain in every joint. It felt like my entire being was being torn to shreds and there was just no hope. And it was excruciating. And I could hear a voice inside me. No! It was life shattering to be able to sense for just a split millisecond what it is like to be away from him. And I, I can't think of anything worse. And it gave me a perspective as to why it's so important for us to reach to the lost and find people and bring yeah. them home. Because there's no worse thing than to be separated from the father. From that moment, I became fully dependent. On his mercy and his presence. I rededicated my life to the Lord that day. It was August of 2003. Okay. And the healing and the restoration began from a very spiritual standpoint. I deepened my relationship with yeah. the Lord through the years. And he taught me about forgiveness. He taught me about um, releasing people of my judgment, the people that have harmed me through my life. He taught me about walking with him and wanting him more than anything. And when the secondary things, when the add-ons don't become a priority, then truly we are ready to receive these blessings because they don't have the potential to become idols in our life. And so I wrote all of that and that whole experience with all the juicy details in my book, Prodigal Heart. Okay. It's been out for a few years and I talk about grief. I talk about rejection. I talk about uh, hope. I talk about all the things that I learned in that journey. And so part two of the answer is it happened shortly after I handed in the manuscript for that book. You know, you know how it's funny when the Lord does something grand in your life and he he works something wonderful. We as little children, human children that we are, we tend to think, wow, this is it. This is this is what the Lord has done in my life. This is my testimony forever and ever. I will grow old preaching about this one thing. That was me. Okay. Yeah, you know, prodigal heart. It's how the Lord saved me and restored my soul. And like the, the work is done. I just have to go through the world and testify and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, I chose this path and now everything's right. Wonderful. And so a few weeks after I handed in the manuscript, after two years trying yeah. to write this book and I finally had it out and like, okay, I um, had been noticing with my husband, we had been married for 10 years by then. And I had been noticing okay. that, you know, we, we wanted to have children. And for some reason, it just wasn't happening. And so we went to a clinic just to check that everything was okay. And I got a diagnosis of infertility. 
Right. It was endometriosis that I had suffered chronically for 20 years. And oh, wow. it had done a number in my abdomen. According yeah. to the doctor, yeah. it was suffocating my womb. So I had so much scar tissue in, wow. around, surrounding, the surrounding organs of my abdomen. It wasn't just the uterus. It was, you know, my kidneys, my liver, the bottom yeah. of my intestine. It was quite painful, actually. And uh, yeah. he said, it's been so long that it's probably suffocating your womb. And even if we go in for surgery, you're probably never going to be able to have a viable pregnancy. No, oh, wow. So basically he gave me a dead womb diagnosis. Yeah. And another journey began. I testify about this in my book about how I met my husband and how he's, you know, such a gift that the Lord has given me and, and aided so, so well in my restoration. I remember telling the Lord, I don't want a relationship with anybody. I don't, I don't want to do this. I just want to focus on Jesus and nothing else. But if you are going to send me the man that you have for me, I need you to tell me clearly that this is my husband. I want you to tell me in my heart Mm -hmm. that this is the person. And so I was very snarky with him. I was super, super unhealthy, sassy Puerto Rican. (laughs) One night when we had gone out, to a beautiful bioluminescent bay in Puerto Rico. And it was supposed to be like, you know, the entire youth of the church, a big outing. And then everybody canceled and it ended up being, you know, one of my best girlfriends and her boyfriend and then him and I. And I'm like so mad because I thought everybody had like colluded to do this double date thing after I told everybody I don't want to date nobody. I was on this ferry looking at the bay and nobody else was on it. And it was so awkward because I'm like, I don't want to be here. And then... He starts talking about the future. He starts talking about ministry and he's so focused on what the Lord wants for him. And I'm still like trying to figure it out. This was, mind you, three weeks after that encounter I had with the Lord with our lady told me all these things. So I'm a very, oh, wow. very baby okay. Christian, if, if you'll call it yeah. that. Yeah. And he's so clear in this one conversation that we had where he asked, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm like, well, I don't really, I really can't see that far. I'm, And he was so focused, like, I know that I'm going to be married in five years. I know that I'm, you know, going to be in partnership ministry with my wife. The Lord has spoken to me about traveling around the world and, you know, having a pastor's heart and pastoring people and just guiding people to Jesus. And I I see a family dynamic going on with that. And I'm like, wow, this dude is focused. And uh, (laughs) I remember saying to myself on the inside, I said, God, who is this dude? Like, nobody talks like this at 24. And... I heard the voice of the Lord in my heart, and he said to me, well, behold, the father of your children. Wow. Oh, my God, what? It can't, no, it can't be. I've been treating this guy terribly. And so that was the way the Lord spoke to me about my husband. Behold, the father of right. your children. So that was a promise. But all the promises are in, yeah. the, in the Bible. I had at this point gotten... I don't know, a hundred prophetic words about my children and, you know, being a womb of mm-hmm. prophets and being, you know, children this and children that. And then I get this diagnosis of infertility and I'm like, God, what's going on? Yeah. And it took me two years to understand that I had anchored so much on the promise of being a mother that the very fact that the Lord had told me that in my my brokenness and unhealthiness I did not have a sound mind back then. I became obsessed with being a mother. And that became an idol for me. So, of course, the Lord was going to teach me a lesson of surrender before he was going to fulfill the promise. 
And it took me two years to fully surrender and to literally give it all to God and say, well, God, if you want to give me kids, that's fine. If you don't want to give me kids, that's fine. If my children are going to be spiritual, well, then, okay, you, you just tell me what to do. And then there was a prayer meeting at church, and they were reading a testimony of a woman that had been healed from a similar condition to mine. And she was testifying her in her email that she was about to give birth to her first child after being prayed for at one of those services and getting healed. Right. And then the pastor said, stand up. Those of you that are infertile and want prayer to open your wombs and to see the glory of the Lord and your children, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not going to stand up in a room full of 3,000 people that half of these people know who I am because it was a prayer service right, pre-conference. Yeah. So we've got yeah. hundreds of worship leaders from around the world that all know the name Christine DiClario. And I'm like, I do not want to stand up in front of all these people and show them that I am a failure at the one thing I'm supposed to do correctly, which is conceive, <laughs> gestate, and give birth. Female homo sapiens is supposed to do that in their sleep, quite literally. And so shame was just grabbing a hold of me. But something inside of me woke up. Something inside of me was like, alarm, alarm. You want this blessing. Get yourself up and grab it. Do not miss this opportunity. And I closed my eyes, stood up like a shaking bird. I got prayer. And to my surprise, I was surrounded by all the worship leaders that were visiting that weekend for conference. And they all did this huge cloud of hands being laid upon hands, being laid upon hands. And they all prayed for me. No questions asked. Everybody automatically just like jumped at the opportunity to pray for healing over me. And I felt something supernatural in my body. I felt like somebody was pouring like a hot liquid inside my belly. All the way from like the top of my ribs down to like my thighs was on fire. And uh, I remember thinking, I know you're healing me, Lord. I know you're healing me. I know you're doing this. This this has got to be it. Like you're healing me. I can feel you burning something in there. Remember, I went to bed that night kind of knowing that the Lord had healed me. But I had a surgery scheduled to resolve the situation. And I had that surgery shortly after that prayer meeting. And he went in. And as soon as he went in, he came out. And he went and met my husband at the waiting room. And he's Mm -hmm. like, "Uh, sir, I am uh, very confused. And my husband's like, is is she okay? That's why I'm confused, sir. Okay. I went in and he brought a booklet out. I have pictures of all of my internal organs. Right. He took pictures of all of them, from the heart to the lungs, the liver, the spleen the kidneys, the intestines, the womb, everything. And he's like, I can't find any scar tissue anywhere. No way. And with this particular condition, sometimes in very rare occasions, it resolves itself on its own, but it always leaves scars and lesions where it used to be. Like this is like like a kid's womb. No way. Like it's brand new. I had prayed for like, all the hospital staff that I encountered that day, I'm like, y'all going to put your hands on a woman of God. So I got to pray for you guys. And I prayed for everybody. So they knew I was Christian. I was very open and vocal about it. And he said, well, you guys are people of faith and you prayed. I mean, somebody up there must really like you because (laughs) the only way I can explain this is it's, it's a divine intervention. This doesn't happen ever, never, ever. 
And four months later, I conceived Ian, my firstborn. Amazing. And when he was six months old, I conceived Kenzie, my second. And I was like, the miracle and the overabundance. I mean, I had forgotten about the overabundance there for a second because she was such a big surprise. And oh, is she overabundant in everything. She was Amazing. she was born nine pounds, two ounces. Wow. Everything is extra with her. <laughs> Above all, she is extra joy in my house. Yeah. And so when right. she was born, the journey wasn't done. Like I had learned the surrender part of it and I had learned the fulfillment yeah. part of it, but then I started getting really weird symptoms okay. that I didn't know were symptoms. I just, I thought they were like, oh, this is baby blues. This It should be yeah. fixed on its own. I'll just wait a couple weeks and I'll be good and I'll feel like myself again. And the symptoms were, yeah. there was an extreme sadness. It was like a very abnormal sadness. And I cried every single day, several times a day. And the more I cried, the sadder I felt. And then there was guilt and shame with that sadness because I'm like, these are miracles that I've been given by the Lord. I should be happy. Right, yeah. Because what I asked the Lord for so long has been given to me, but I feel like there's no joy. I became very hopeless because I started thinking, oh, did motherhood break me? Am I ever going to be the joyful self that I was before? Am I ever going to have a reason to... To worship truly and with joy in my heart, because it doesn't, yeah. fe- it feels like this is going to be forever. And then those thoughts started feeding into my inadequacy, which was another symptom. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I am a shadow of the woman I was. The woman I was is no more. Motherhood and giving birth took that from me. And now I'm the worst possible version of myself. How then am I going to be a right. good mother for these children? Yeah. And then those thoughts started feeding other thoughts. I'm going to ruin these children's life if I stay in it. Oh, wow. Any other mother in my family, any other matriarch in my family would be a better mother to them. Maybe they should go with them, but I couldn't possibly give my children away. So maybe I just need to remove myself permanently from their lives. Oh, wow. Because I'm the worst thing that could possibly happen to these kids. Something broke in me and I'm never going to be okay. And they're going to pay the price. And then I started having suicidal thoughts, which is... One of the strongest uh, symptoms of postpartum depression. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression six weeks after my daughter was born by a midwife who saw me, who asked me the question, who took the time to look into my eyes and say, how's your heart? What's going on inside of you? Tell me everything. And she gave me permission to be able to speak my truth. Because one of the paradigms that happens in our society today is that mothers have to have it all together. You see on Instagram and on TikTok and on Facebook, you see women right after giving birth, they have a full face of makeup and they've got like done hair with like these perfect ringlets. There's no way that you had your hair like that when you were pushing out a baby, like sweating like a pig. (laughs) But that's the way they look because we live in filtered uh, societies right now. And everything is fake. It's not truth. It's, it's, It's deception motherhood and and bringing forth a human through your body is one of the most indignifying things you could ever go through. It's one of the most beautiful Mm -hmm. experiences you could have and one of the most rewarding experiences you could have. But you literally go through a breaking of everything Mm -hmm. you've ever known to be able to make way for this person to exist. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be perfect, but this is not perfect. And it took that one person seeing me and giving me the permission to say how I felt 
and to express everything. And I just started bawling and she started bawling too. And I got so surprised and kind of weirded out. I'm like, I'm, I know why I'm crying, but why are you crying? <laughs> she said, sweetheart, you have a severe postpartum depression. And I know because I went through it with all my children. And she said, here's a card. It is a therapist. She deals with okay. these situations. And she yeah. also is spirit filled. She invites God into all of her sessions. Call her, make the appointment with her. I am going to be checking up on you every hour until you've told me you have an appointment. Wow. And she did that for two straight days, every waking hour of the day. <laughs> and when I finally got answer back the next day, I told her, well, I have an, I have an appointment, but she's pretty full. So it's going to be in a month. And she's like, okay, I'm going to check up on you tomorrow. And she checked on me every single day okay. for a no. month no until I finally had that appointment with my therapist. And she knew how to very quickly get me out of crisis mode. Because at that point, I already had a plan to end my life. Yeah. Going through that in that way gave me such a compassion for people that have mental illness that drives them to suicide. Yeah. Because the stigma is, oh, that person committed suicide. They're a coward and they're selfish. They couldn't handle a little bit of trouble in life. And that's not it at all. People commit suicide wow. for several reasons. And one of the reasons is they want to end their suffering, but also they want to end mm. the suffering of the people around them because they're under the conception right. that their life is so broken that it's damaging other lives. And they don't want anybody other else people. to feel that way. So yeah. for many people that commit suicide, it's one of the most selfless things that they can do. They push themselves to that extreme in many cases for the love of the people around them. They don't want to be bringing anybody yeah. else down. But it, it broadened my compassion because I've been in situations where it's like a swarm of bees. It won't let you breathe without the thought, the constant thought, do it now, do it now, do it now, do it tonight, do it today. And so had it not been for that midwife, had it not been for my blessed therapist, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here. And the Lord showed me yet something else about his love. And it's that he can love us spiritually and supernaturally if that's what we need, but he can also use the words and the hands and the expertise of his servants that are prepared in the brain, in the soul, in the mind, in the spirit to be able to free you from traumas. I mean, I also learned that trauma resides in our body, not just our mind Mm -hmm. and our subconscious. We have something called a limbic system, that mm-hmm. harbors all the energy of trauma in our bodies. And it does not release it until you give it permission to. Right. And you have okay. to know where the trauma lies in order to give your body permission yep. to release it. Because the body is an amazing machine, a vessel. It's a bioelectromagnetic machine that God created with one purpose and one purpose only. Preserve the life of the soul and spirit so that this person can come to an opportunity to see the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. But when there's misplaced emotion, when there's misplaced trauma, when there's unhealed situations, we feel like we can't move forward. And it's quite literally we can't because our body is like, "Mm -mm, you can't go forward because I need to keep you alive. And when you had that Mm -hmm. experience that day where you thought you were going to die for a split second— That means you can't go back there because you need to stay alive to see the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. That's my job, and that's what I'm going to do. Right. And we need to tell our bodies, hey, that was a misconstruction of danger. That danger 
is no more, you can release that now. I mean... Chris, I felt like I've said wow about <laughs> 175 times just listening to your story. There is so much in there. So firstly, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. And I want to pick up on that in a moment. But there is just... I'm almost speechless hearing you articulate your journey mm-hmm. because I think it's so tempting for us to think that there is a life before God breaks into our life and then plain sailing and life afterwards. Yes. And it's not that clean cut. And mm-hmm. that's not what life is. What I love most about your story and the way that you're just so transparent is I think you have this amazing language and willingness mm. to dive into a subject that I think for years has been labelled an untouchable subject. Yes. So how difficult has that been? And what led you to take the bold step in speaking on the topic mm. of mental health? So I confessed about having postpartum depression kind of by accident. Okay. I was preparing for a big event that I had in Puerto Rico when mm-hmm. Kenzie was born. I had just gotten diagnosed with postpartum depression. I was in Puerto Rico. The big event was going to be in the spring, and I was in Puerto Rico for Christmas, and the radio stations were already starting to talk about it. And one of them, the main sponsor of the event, wanted an interview while I was in Puerto Rico. And, you know, we did the whole phone thing, and it was great. And we started talking yeah. about life, and they were so excited. There's a second baby, and oh, my God, everybody's so <laughs> This is so amazing, and she's so cute. Oh, my gosh, it's great. And so one of the hosts of this morning show that I was talking to, she is yeah. a counselor. And okay. uh, she's also a neuroscientist. And so she usually asks questions that go deep very quickly. And yeah. she doesn't ask many open-ended questions, she'll be like, she wants a specific answer because her listeners, that's the kind of listeners that she draws, people that go deep. Mm -hmm. And so she asked me a question like, so tell us, Christine, how are you doing? And how's your family? And how's the dynamic happening, you know, with your husband and with a new baby? And like, how are you as a woman and as, you know, and as a wife and and as as a mother, we want to hear it all. Uh, Tell me everything. How's it going? And I'm like, uh... Uh, for a split second there, I was like, ah, I could easily get out of this if I just lie. Yeah. And then I remembered, ah, that one day back in August, 2003, I promised God that I wasn't <laughs> going to lie ever again. And this is not the time to start. And so I'm like, well, um, I don't know the answer to that question. I just got diagnosed with postpartum depression and I'm going through darkest and hardest season of my life. So I'm still figuring out the answer to that question. How I am, I don't know, but I know I'm I'm in a really, really dark valley right now. And it was like- How brave. The air got sucked out of the room. Yeah. And there was just this pause. And the pause then turned into awe. And the awe then turned into them- speaking about how amazed and how much more they admired me for being brave and vulnerable and saying Mm. that. And then we talked about it a little bit on the air and then they opened up the phone lines and it lit up like a Christmas tree. I can imagine. Every phone line was one call in, one call out, one call in, one call out. And then people started talking on air about their journeys We had pastors, we had ministers, we had leaders that were calling in and saying, I'm a pastor's wife, and I've been in depression for four years, and I thought I was the only one, and I thought I was so wrong for feeling the way I feel. But if you're going through this, that means that there's hope for me. That means that I could reach out for help. 
And I'm wow. like, you know, Even in the middle of your story, yes, you're able to give that in hope to the people. middle. And I was so afraid of speaking it out. One of the reasons why I hadn't asked for help and it took that midwife kind of like shoving me into yeah. therapy is because I would have never dared to say this publicly because I was so ashamed yeah. at going through it. You know, you, you get on an altar yeah. every weekend and what's your message? Jesus is the way, the yeah. truth and the life, you know, life, 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 life. And I couldn't reconcile being on tour and preaching life and ministering life and worshiping life and then getting back into my room and closing the yeah. door and questioning the very value of my own and wondering mm. if I should keep my heart beating for another day. And it was like, I, I can't tell this to people. I'm going to be shunned. Do you think that's why we find it so difficult in ministry? Yes. To talk about mental health struggles? Is it exactly what you just articulated there, that duality of proclaiming life, but not living life to its full? Or is there more there? It's listening to the whispers of shame. Right. Over the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Because shame tells you, you're going through this, therefore you are terrible. Right. Guilt tells you, you did this wrong. You're never going to be able to make up for it. Yeah. And so it's all about identity, which is where I would love to go. If there's one thing that listeners can remember from yes. this podcast, let it be what I'm about to say. Okay. One of the biggest roots of our downfalls and our brokenness is that we do not have proper identity. We don't know who we are. And in order to know who we are, we need to know whose we are. Because that is the one thing about us that will never, ever, ever, ever change and can never be challenged. That we yeah. are children of the Most High, the Living God, yeah. and He is our Father, and He loves us unchangingly and forever. And when we learn that, we are able to face any storm and we are able to at least have the smallest trace of faith and of hope to be able to overcome any circumstance. I didn't know who I was. I thought that I was the worship leader. I thought that I lived to pay the price for the people, to fulfill people's expectations. And I was running myself dry the woman and be the mother and be the wife and be the daughter and be the friend and be the minister and be the leader. And I was forgetting that I am God's and that's never going to change. And he's going yeah. to be with me. And it took me going through that deep, dark valley to experience how consistent and constant his love is yeah. for me. That even when I didn't have the strength to get out of that dirt. He just stayed there with me. And I could feel him every day holding me, even when I was going through like the worst temptations of suicide, even when I was like at my very saddest, I knew he was there with me. Mm -hmm. I never stopped feeling his presence. It was just a battle within me. Yeah. And it took four years of therapy so far. And a lot of time in the Word. And yeah. a lot of time talking to Jesus. Just about the situation. There were, there were times where, I'm not going to lie, the words that came out of my mouth are, Jesus, weren't very nice. 
But I learned that in his constant love, in his faithfulness, in his kindness, he already took it upon himself on the cross. He's already been through it all. Nothing that we can do or say is going to surprise him. And still Mm -hmm. he chooses to be there with us. Fantastic. If we can understand that we are his and he is ours and he will always love us, that can set any person free. Christine, this is amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) We... We could do hours of this. We, we really need to could. do like a full um, season just to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we really should. And let's make that happen. Let's bring you back on to talk more because I have so much more I'd love to ask you mm-hmm. about how the church handles mental health, uh, difference between whether people see it as a disease mm-hmm. or something more demonic, yep. uh, lack of faith. I'd love to get into how worship leaders can better serve their church. Mm-hmm. We are for respecting of your time, we're right at the edge of our time together today. So let's do another yes. session talking more about this. I have one final question and one request, if that's okay. Yes. For anybody listening mm-hmm. that is identifying with so much of what you said and there's so much gold in there, I, I know you've articulated this already, but do it again. What's the one encouragement for them? And then would you pray yes. for our listeners to end our recording today? Yes. My prayer is just that in all that you've said, and all that you shared, that the Holy Spirit goes ahead of your words mm-hmm. to open up people. And as you pray for them, wherever the listens are right now, as they hear that prayer, there would be a deep supernatural mm-hmm. working in their lives on a par with your story yes. and the freedom that God's brought into yours. Would you do that for us? Absolutely. Is that okay? I will say this. Yeah. To any person that is listening, that is going through the rough part of the journey right now, or that maybe is in the eye of the storm getting a breather, but knowing that what's coming is not going to be easy. Or that for some reason, whether it be grief, whether it be disappointment, whether it be anxiety, whether it be trauma, you feel like your hope is running very thin. Listen to me. Just the very fact that you are in a season that a promise has not yet been fulfilled is evidence that God's work is not done with you. Yeah, so good. He says in his word that he will fulfill his work in you. Mm -hmm. He says in his word that you shall see the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. And he says in his word that he has never left you. And he will not ever forsake you. And I love how the Apostle Paul talks about suffering. Because what you're undergoing right now is suffering. And suffering does not have to be all bad. Yes, it hurts, it stings, it's, it's, it's not pleasant. But instead of asking why, 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 let's start changing that question to what for, Lord? What is it that you are bringing out in me in this okay. valley? What is the part of the character of Christ that you are molding in me? And why is it so uncomfortable? Be curious in the process. I know sometimes you don't have the strength to be curious and ask questions, but hear me. The fact that you're going through suffering is evidence that God is not done with you. He's chiseling away 
and he is showing himself a little more. It's, you know, like the parable of the clay that gets mashed and gets broken and gets put in the oven and then taken out and like polished and ground again and then put in the oven again. And it doesn't come out until it is an actual reflection of the potter. You might be in an oven right now. The temperature is getting hot. But the fact that you're in that oven means that God is not done with you. That he is working something that is going to be marvelous for his glory and for the sake of your blessing. So today's not the day to give up. And I'm just going to go straight into prayer right now. Lord Jesus, help us to remember that you are not done. Help us to be steadfast in our trust in you. Help us to feel and sense your presence, the throbbing of your heart as your arms surround us right now. And in Jesus' name, I pray that every mind be unbound by the mighty force of your kindness, your mercy, and your blood. Lord, and I cry out to you for healing in the soul, Lord, for those traumatic emotional situations that my brothers and sisters have been through, Lord, that still sting, they still prick at the heart, Lord. I ask you right now to engulf, you know, with your healing oil, Lord, that healing oil from heaven that can heal all wounds right now. You just start healing, Lord. Start the process. Help us to surrender to your loving, caring arms. Help us to submit to your operations, Lord, so that you can repair like no one else can. Lord, and help us to see that we will see the glory of the Lord in the land of the living, that we will have a testimony after this. And the testimonies of what you have done is the spirit of prophecy, Lord. You are the giver and you are the treasure. Holy Spirit, help us take hold of your word. Help us have peace in the midst of the storm and help us surrender our lives to you every day. And we know that you're up to something. We know that all things will work together for our good. In Jesus' name. And let me say this. If all you have strength for is to hold on for 24 hours, I pray that strength over you right now. And mm -hmm. I pray that it multiplies. And then you'll have strength for 48. And then that strength increases and then you'll have strength for 72. And that the Lord continues increasing your strength as you allow his strength to be perfected in your weakness. Tomorrow will bring its own thing. And when the sun comes out tomorrow, so does the renewal of his mercy for those 24 hours. He's got you. He won't leave you.